The ESMO Asia 2022 Congress took place on the 2nd to the 4th of December in Singapore. We heard from experts across Asia and Europe as they discussed the latest updates in oncology in the Asia-Pacific region. In this podcast, we're going to hear some of the highlights from our interviews with speakers at the Congress, starting with Dr. Tomohiro Matsuda of the National Cancer Center in Japan, as he explains the Rare Care Net Asia study, which looked into the epidemiology of rare cancers in Asia. Since uh, five, six years, uh, uh, we formed one group called Rare Cancer Asia. So uh, it was in this small Asia meeting. Uh, we uh, expected to have uh, the multi-stakeholder group, uh, which uh, can proceed research on rare cancer. And this group is uh, composed of the researchers, uh, researchers and clinicians and patient advocacy groups and uh, pharmaceutical companies. So uh, they are kind of from uh, many kind of different areas. And uh, within this group, uh, I'm in charge of uh, the epidemiology, epidemiological research. And uh, we title it as a Reactia Net Asia group. And Reactia Net uh, is a kind of group already formed in European countries. So they define uh, uh, rare cancers uh, categories uh, according to the ICD-03 uh, coding. And we uh, just applied this uh, rare care net list, uh, this rare cancer category to uh, the Asian uh, cancer registry data. And in 2018 or 19, uh, uh, we published one article on this rare care net risk uh, Asia. Uh, it means so we applied uh, this the rare cancer category in uh, to the Asian uh, cancer registry data, and we collaborated with uh, the South Korea and Taiwan. And we compared, uh, so first year we verified, uh, we confirmed if it is applicable to the Asian cancer registry data. And since it was good, uh, we calculated incidence rate and survival rate. And we compared with uh, European countries and this, uh, these three uh, East Asian countries. And so since then, uh, we uh, expand the target country to Thailand and Malaysia and Vietnam. So this time I would like to update the, what I have uh, presented in the previous ESMO Asia meeting. Dr. Matsuda also discussed how cancer registry systems in Asia can be improved. In many countries, uh, uh, even in uh, Southeast Asian countries, uh, they now develop uh, population-based cancer registry. Uh, but uh, so some, for example, developed countries just like Japan, or Korea, or Taiwan, or Singapore, uh, where uh, we hold this ESMO uh, Asia meeting, uh, we have national cancer registry. And it means we cover whole population and we can count the exhaustively the cancer patient in the country. But in the other countries, uh, even if it is not the national cancer registry, they have a population-based cancer registry, a regional one. Uh, however, the quality is not sufficient to do rare cancer research uh, 
uh, I mean that, so they count, for example, lung cancer as lung cancer, but uh, they have no, for example, uh, detailed pathological information uh, due to the lack of, for example, pathologists in the country or due to the uh, inefficient, I'll say, the resource in uh, the hospital to uh, organize or to uh, set up and uh, hospital-based uh, medical information system. So uh, to do uh, rare cancer research in uh, Asian countries, uh, we really have to uh, develop firstly this the cancer registry, cancer registration system. But uh, cancer registration system, cancer registry is doesn't mean, uh, for example, the personal computer software. We really have to develop firstly, for example, the health insurance system, because the, even they have cancer, if they do not come to the hospital, they will never uh, be diagnosed as cancer patient. And uh, in addition to that, so we have to uh, have CV registration. Uh, if, for example, we cannot know the exact uh, the size of population, we can never calculate incidence rate because we cannot divide this the cancer patient by the population, and uh, we have to know uh, the the address of uh, the cancer patient. Uh, and for that, we have to have this CB registration. And uh, uh, if we have no, for example, uh, this certificate, we cannot calculate the survival rate. So there are many uh, kind of basic infra infrastructure uh, uh, that we are lacking to calculate or to, uh, I'll say, put forward in the cancer registry in uh, Southeast, Southeast Asian countries. Uh, this is why we really have to uh, work with the government or health ministry or administrative officers, uh, even if it is uh, kind of medical uh, affairs. We have to cooperate with uh, the others in the other areas uh, to do a kind of real cancer research. So this kind of the infrastructure development is uh, really uh, big issues and we have a lot of barriers to overcome. Dr. Avinash Kadela of the LM College of Pharmacy in India took us through the results from a study comparing the extreme regimen to cetuximab plus cisplatin plus paclitaxel for patients with recurrent or metastatic head and neck cancer. So basically what I did in my study that I have divided the patient into two cohorts and I have uh, uh, taken the cohort one who will be prescribed uh, who was prescribed with the uh, extreme regimen and in comparison with this in a, a to know or to understand that the paclitaxel based regimen will do how uh, in comparison with the extreme regimen here the change is only in one drug that 5-fluorouracil is replaced with the paclitaxel now why we uh, thought of replacing 5-fluorouracil with paclitaxel is had, uh, uh, I have two reasons to support this as paclitaxel is having immunomodulatory uh, action. So later on when paclitaxel is replaced with the maintenance therapy with immunotherapy, it will give a good reason. Second is paclitaxel when is added, uh, six, uh, 96 hour continuous infusion of 5-fluorouracil is replaced with the single day paclitaxel dose. 
So patient do, don't have to admit to the hospital for five days. Moreover, 5-fluoroacyl is more toxic compared to paclitaxel. So this is why we thought of replacing 5-fluoroacyl with paclitaxel. So many researchers have replaced this extreme regimen with docetaxel-based cisplatin and cetuximab regimen, where they found that there is good safety, but no change in efficacy or there is a no little or there is no or little improvement in the overall survival. So basically, in my study, I have tried to replace first of all 5-fluoroacyl. Uh, I have just compared 5-fluoroacyl-based regimen, that is extreme regimen, and uh, paclitaxel-based regimen. Now, if the safety is the problem, then it directly impacts the patient's quality of life. So I tried to measure the humanistic outcome along with the clinical outcome so that we can uh, get better idea that what is the impact of safety on patient's life. Because in stage four patient, or I can say metastatic patient, there is nothing called, uh, you know, survival is one of the option, but they more focus on quality of life. Whatever or however, uh, like uh, how long they live, they want to live in a good quality. So when I compared humanistic outcome in both the cases, I found that humanistic outcome was much more uh, significantly higher in paclitaxel-based regimen compared to extreme regimen. Whereas I found there is no change in overall survival, but there is a significant change in progression-free survival in my study. So I can say that paclitaxel-based regimen, which is replacing the, uh, this extreme regimen, is well-tolerated and having a good impact on a humanistic outcome compared to this extreme regimen. Dr. Cadella also discussed how we can improve outcomes for patients with head and neck cancer. So based on my experience in head and neck cancer, what I have seen in the patient, uh, right now we need to go for the personalized therapy. And to achieve those kind of therapy in realistic setup, we need to focus on the clinical biomarkers. So basically those who are suffering from locally advanced recurrent and metastatic cancer state, right now what we are doing and what I have seen in the clinics, that they are performing the biomarker test and they are checking for PDL1, uh, CLT4 mutation, and the newly uh, found mutations is HRAS mutation, which is one of the proto-oncogens. If it is targeted, uh, then the drugs which is uh, inhibiting this uh, HRAS gene is right now under clinical trial. So we need to focus more on those biomarkers, identification of those biomarkers, and specifically drugs which is targeting those biomarkers need to be prescribed to those patients so that the survival can be improved as well as quality of life also can be improved because immunotherapy is much less toxic compared to the uh, chemotherapy. But when we combine chemo and immunotherapy with the concept of metronomic chemotherapy, which is low-dose sustainable chronic therapy just to overcome the toxicity issue, which is a, again new concept, which is also can be implemented to the individualized therapy. And we need to expand this PDL1 uh, inhibitors, pembrolizumab, nivolumab, which is widely prescribed nowadays in the setup of head and neck cancer. So I uh, believe that the clinical trials conducted on immunotherapy need to be uh, strengthened. It, to, it should be enrolled more uh, cohorts of patients suffering from head and neck cancer. Real life studies on those uh, immunotherapy, immunomodulatory therapy should be conducted. Moreover, I believe that rather than uh, treating the patient in the recurrent stage as well as metastatic stage, we need to strengthen the initial therapy, which is induction therapy, neoadjuvant therapy, and 
adjuvant therapy where we can introduce the immunotherapy which is not much studied nowadays so if we can study at that level we can obviously prevent the recurrence of head and neck cancer and we don't have to treat at the later stage where we are finding very difficulty to treat the patients i think i have uh, focused on the major uh, key points um, of for the patients suffering from head and neck cancer and how the treatment should be comprised of and what futuristic goals we should have as a researcher to conduct more research in the area where we can find some kind of strategies where we prevent rather than cure the conditions arising nowadays in Edinburgh. We spoke to Dr. Annalisa Trauma of the National Tumor Institute in Italy on survival differences in head and neck cancer between Asia and Europe. What we basically discovered through this uh, uh, analysis is that compared to the prognosis of head and neck cancers in, uh, uh, in Europe, in Asia, and specifically in uh, Taiwan, in, in Japan, and in uh, um, the Republic of Korea, the survival for head and neck cancers was better than the survival we observed in Europe. So, of course, this led us to ask several questions uh, related to the possible reason for these uh, differences. We realized that probably uh, preventive uh, prevention activities are relevant because, uh, uh, of course, to increase awareness of these uh, cancers may improve the um, stage, which basically means uh, the size of the tumor of diagnosis, which seems to be lower in, uh, in Asia country, ameliorating uh, the, uh, the prognosis. But of course, since these tumors are rare, there could be some expertise in, uh, in Asia from which we could uh, learn. Now, when I say we, I mean, of course, the European side of the, uh, of the world. So the idea is to further explore the reason for these differences using maybe a more advanced period of diagnosis in Europe because, of course, um, future research using this type of data can help us to understand also the impact of a new radiological treatment or new um, pharmacological uh, treatment. So we would like to update this analysis with additional and more updated information on the treatment aspect. Dr. Kohai Shitara of the National Cancer Center Hospital East in Japan gave us a thorough overview of predictive biomarkers for immunotherapy in upper GI cancers. Checkpoint inhibitor uh, has been approved for GASIC and GJ adenocarcinoma, esophageal squamous cancer, and MSI high tumors, including colorectal cancers. First, MSI is the most distinguished, uh, important biomarker to predict the efficacy of checkpoint inhibitors. MSI or MMR deficient can induce many frame shift to a missense mutation and expression of new antigen. And in clinical trial for colorectal cancer, Keynote 177 trial showed a very significant PFS benefit in MSI patient by pembrolizumab, and now pembrolizumab has become a standard of care for such patient. Also, subgroup analysis from at least three randomized studies in gastric cancer also showed a remarkable efficacy of checkpoint inhibitor for MSI high tumor. So this must be most important biomarker and we shouldn't forget to test. And the second is PDR1 expression. Uh, a PDR1 inhibitor target PD1 and PDR1 interaction, so it is very reasonable to evaluate a PDR1 expression in tumor cells as a possible biomarkers. 
On the other hand, the PDR1 is also expressed in surrounding immune cells such as lymphocytes or macrophages. So, combined positive score uh, or CPS can take into account uh, for both PDR1 expression in tumor cells and immune cells. In gastric cancer, uh, CPS is more predictive uh, and useful to predict efficacy. For example, attraction 2 trial in later line setting did not show any benefit, any predictive value of TP tumor uh, expressing uh, PDL1. But uh, in keynote 61, keynote 62, uh, PDL1 CPS is uh, predictive, especially uh, CPS less than 1 in keynote 61 showed a worse survival compared with second-line paclitaxel. In contrast, CPS 10 or higher showed uh, some enrichment benefit. So uh, also in meta-analysis, hazard ratio was 0.95 in CPS less than 5, suggesting no benefit. In esophageal uh, squamous cancer, not only CPS but also tumor uh, prog uh, tumor uh, PDL1 uh, is also considered as a biomarker. TPS1 or higher, CPS10 or higher is uh, a possible uh, appropriate uh, cutoff. Uh, but the benefit was still suggested in CPS row or TPS row in squamous histology with a hazard ratio of 0.8. So this is a different from adenocarcinoma because generally uh, tumor response for checkpoint inhibitor is better or higher in squamous histology than adenocarcinoma. So CPS seems to be useful to exclude patients without benefit in adenocarcinoma and uh, actually NCCN guidelines recommend a chemotherapy and nivolumab for CPS1 or higher and chemopenbro for CPS10 or higher. But uh, there is actually uncertainty of CPS by interchangeability of uh, different antibodies, low CPS in all the tissue and spatial and temporal heterogeneity. So quality assurance in each institution or laboratory must be important. If, it, if this is not feasible, whole comma use is possible approach. So again, MSI high CPS PDL1 in GJ Adeno and CPS and TPS in squamous histology are already one of the standard of care. And the third biomarker is tumor mutation burden, TMB status. In gastric cancer, TMB high is overlapping with MSI high, but still around 5% of patient has TMB uh, high status. And uh, some trials such as Checkmate 609, Keynote 61, and Keynote 62, TMB high uh, and uh, patient with MSIS still show the enrichment of the benefit of checkpoint inhibitors. In contrast, TMB low and CPS low show the worst benefit. So, uh, this TMB is also some helpful biomarkers, but uh, there is a still debate about the optimal uh, level of cutoff and the TMB value, especially outside the MSI high tumor. And there are other possible factors uh, for checkpoint inhibitor, including uh, immunophenotype in tumor microenvironment, RNA signature related to angiogenesis, or stroma-related signatures. And finally, relationship between these factor and response or resistance was suggested in, in some study like Kino 61 and checkpoint 69, but still we need some validation in additional studies. 
Dr. Shatara also explained current clinical trials investigating immunotherapy for gastric cancer. The topic should be how we can improve outcome of patients who are resistant to checkpoint inhibitor and uh, chemotherapy. Looking into some exploratory biomarker of checkpoint inhibitor, RNA-seq data from Checkmate 609 showed a high angiogenesis signature and a stoma-related signature associated with a resistant to checkpoint inhibitor. So targeting angiogenesis of BGA for immunosuppressive cell could be the, uh, very important strategies. And actually, a previous our trial suggested large kinase inhibitors such as regorapinib and rembatinib can target immunosuppressive cells and enhance the efficacy of checkpoint inhibitors. So based on this trial, now at least two randomized control trials are ongoing to investigate uh, checkpoint inhibitor in combination with large kinase inhibitors such as REAP15 and the integrated 2B trial. Also, recently it was a press release that uh, Zorbetoximab has a clothing targeting uh, antibody showed the over-survival benefit in clothing 18.2 positive uh, population in gastric cancer. Clothing high, clothing is a tight junction protein and uh, high expression is observed in around 30 to 40 percent patient. And this patient showed somehow a relatively low PGR on CPS status. So Please stay tuned for the detail or disclosure of this result in upcoming meeting. And the combination with checkpoint inhibitor for this clothing targeting therapy is already investigated in trial. And the other clothing targeting therapies such as CAR-T or BITE agent are also investigated. So this is a very attractive field of even for this kind of uh, PDL1 low population. Also, combination with HAT2 targeting therapy or FGFR targeting therapy should be also promising in combination with checkpoint inhibitor, which are now investigated in ongoing phase three trials. So, hopefully, this treatment or trial show the improvement of survival in our patients. Dr. Ken Kato of the National Cancer Center Hospital in Japan explained the phase three Rationale 306 trial for esophageal cancer. My presentation is about the, uh, uh, the Asian subgroup result for the Rational 306 trial. Uh, Rational 306 trial is designed for the comparison uh, of the chemotherapy uh, between the uh, chemotherapy plus tisirizumab, uh, which is uh, anti-PD-1 antibody. Uh, already uh, for the first-rank chemotherapy of the esophagus cell carcinoma, uh, the summer positive result was uh, uh, reported uh, by the uh, nivolumab and pembrolizumab, and the another uh, the uh, PD1 antibody from China, uh, the cambrolizumab, centrimab, or toriparimab, and uh, the study design is uh, similar across the uh, trials. The uh, first rank chemotherapy plus minus uh, the immunotherapy. Uh, but the, the uh, that is a uh, uh, rationalized 306 trial is a, a global trial, um, but the seventy percent of the patient from uh, mainland China, and the uh, backbone chemotherapy is different from the other uh, studies. Uh, for example, uh, the five FSS platin uh, for or checkpoint for uh, a trial and the Kino five ninety trial. And it packs uh, uh, cisplatin for the most of the Chinese trial. But the uh, rational 306 trial is a mixed type of the uh, global and the China trial. 
So we have the uh, four type of the backbone chemotherapy, uh, five F and cisplatin, and the four uh, fox uh, five F plus oxyaplatin, or paclitaxel plus cisplatin, or paclitaxel oxyaplatin. So we have a, a most varied uh, this uh, backbone chemotherapy is uh, a unique uh, point uh, compared to the another uh, trial. And also, so uh, one uh, most very uh, interesting uh, the result the point is uh, the uh, the result for the uh, PDL1 um, a negative uh, population. Uh, most of the uh, trials shows that the worst hazard ratio was seen in the uh, PDL1 negative uh, population, uh, but in, the, in this trial. Mm, that even for the PD1 negative population, the hazard ratio is not so bad. That's uh, similar uh, to the uh, PD1 positive population. And the, the result was already uh, presented uh, by Professor Yong Hari uh, in the SMOGI meeting. So uh, this is the most interesting point, I think. Finally, Dr. Teresa Macarola of Valdebron University Hospital in Spain discussed the optimization of genomic testing for non-colorectal GI cancers. Well, I think in non-colorectal GI cancers include a really heterogeneous group of uh, tumors. So we have to uh, individualize in each of these tumors. Basically, uh, in my opinion, we have to divide it for in biliary tract cancer, in pancreatic cancer, and in gastric, esophageal gastric cancer. And I think that in each of these tumors, we have to individualize. No? For example, in biliary tract cancer, this is one of the tumors with higher incidence of targetable alterations. So it's really crucial in these patients to have a complete complete um, NGS analysis uh, in order to see if our patients are one of these uh, patients with targetable alterations because to treat those patients with target treatments has an impact in overall survival and this is demonstrated in, in retrospective data. So, um, so in biliary it's crucial as soon as possible to have an NGS analysis and with this to prepare if our patient can receive this uh, personalized treatment. Uh, regarding uh, pancreatic cancer is more complex. We only have a small percentage of patients with targetable alterations, for example, DDR alterations, or the population with K-Raswell type tumors that presented more uh, with higher frequency uh, targetable alterations. For the reason, I think, and because this is a a tumor with really worse prognosis, uh, we have to go to find this small percentage of patients. And finally, in gastric cancer, uh, we do not have a lot of target therapies. We have HER2 for a lot of years, and HER2 it's a good target therapy, so we have to determine it in all of our patients at diagnosis. And then another promising targets are coming, but not established yet, like Caudin or FGFR to uh, be inhibitors. That wraps up our highlights from ESMO Asia 2022. We have loads more interviews from the meeting over on vjoncology.com, so why not explore? If you enjoyed this podcast, then you can subscribe on your favourite podcast app, including Spotify and Apple, to make sure you don't miss an episode. You can also follow us on Twitter to stay up to date on the latest advances in oncology. Stay tuned for more podcasts from VJ Oncology.